0: Unique, yet common-sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen's Sports Talk. Thank you, Jay Cresswell, for that
1: introduction. And Jay Creswell will be with us in just a few moments. He's standing by in the virtual green room. He's one of my Stable of Sports guys. And he's here to chat about several different sports topics with me. And we will get to that in just a few moments. Well, another uh, tough loss in the world of sports this week. Last week... Uh, Lou Olson passed away, and college basketball lost another great giant and giant indeed, figuratively and literally in John Thompson. John Thompson made Georgetown. they were Georgetown, they were Gonzaga before Gonzaga. You look at the size of that school and what they were, and Georgetown as one of the anchors in the formation of the Big East. Helped fuel that league into becoming one of the elites in college basketball. Had three shots of the national championship winning one. I think he lost the other two by like a combined seven points or something like that. Developed Patrick Ewing, Alonzo Mourning, Dikembe Mutombo, his terrific big men in the middle. And John Thompson was a very polarizing figure. He could be thought of as being a little surly, a little uh, tough to get along with. A little Bobby knight without... The over-dramatic actions of a Bobby Knight, I guess you could say. If you want to hear some great stories about John Thompson, especially as a coach and then his post-career where he was a radio host in Washington, check out Tony Kornheiser's podcast, I believe, from Monday. And also check out uh, Steve Zabin's podcast uh, on Tuesday, him and Andy Poland. Had some great stories about John Thompson that are very, very funny. Uh, Again, uh, tough loss two weeks in a row now for the college basketball world with Lute Olson and now John Thompson. And we lost another great sports legend uh, this week as well, in which we will talk about with Jay Cresswell, uh, Tom Seaver passing away at the age of 75. (music) We head west to Dallas, Texas, where one of my stable of sports guys resides. He is Jay Cresswell from k Love in Dallas. Jay, great to have you back on the show.
0: Thanks, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Good
1: to talk to you. Yeah, it is great to have you. And uh, of course, you're being one of the uh, big baseball fans that's in my uh, in my circle and. What are your impressions of the baseball season as we uh, hit, have barely hit the midway point, just past the midway point in September? <laughs>
0: well, you know, first of all, I'm thankful we have baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's weird. I know we've changed all the rules. I know, uh, you know, we're, some teams are playing four doubleheaders in a week. I know there's nobody in the parks. But I I, I don't want to hear the complaints about you know, oh, there are too many people being hit by pitches this year, or the the batter, the batting averages are way down. We have to outlaw the shift and things that stuff drives me crazy. <laughs> Just be thankful we have the game. It's a sixty-game season in empty ballparks, and with all these playoff teams and designated hitters and designated runners at second base, and I be thankful we have it. Shut up and watch baseball. <laughs> and quite frankly, it does me good to see you know, the Yankees lose 9 out of 10, <laughs> or to see how the Red Sox are struggling. You know, I knew they, they made the trade with Price and Mookie, and they were, you know, trying to beat the luxury tax there, but I thought there were, you know, Ben attende and other people in Boston that were good, but apparently I was wrong. Mm. Uh, perhaps it's the, you know, the way the league is set up this year, the way things have been scheduled, but... Just seeing the Red Sox struggle like that, it has to be driving people crazy if you're a Red Sox fan.
1: Yeah, no kidding. So let's talk about a few of the, the oddities. You know, I have to admit, I'm kind of liking seven-inning doubleheaders. Saw many of those in the minor leagues at Tinker Field. And uh, I, I I think it's a, kind of a nice uh, nice little switch up, if you will.
0: I agree with you 100%. I watched my first doubleheader uh, last week, probably, and... You know, the joke I said was, it was a National League doubleheader, the Pirates and Cardinals. And my joke was, the two games were over in the time that it would have taken for just one American League game, usually. <laughs> um That's that's not necessarily a slam at the American League. It's just that their games seem to take longer. Yes, Um, But I like it. Uh, You know, I I have to keep reminding myself they're on a pitch count. It's the fifth inning. The guy's throwing eight pitches. And I thought, well, he only has two more innings to go. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And then the inevitable questions come up. If if the guy pitches seven innings, is it a complete game? The answer is yes. If the guy pitches uh, seven innings and wins and pitches and gives up no hits, is it a no-hitter? No. Yes. <laughs> if he does a perfect game in seven innings and wins, is it a perfect game? No. <laughs> Those have to be nine-inning games. Yes. But- so you can get a complete game with give up no runs and no hits, <laughs> <laughs> but you don't get any of the credit. Here's the other thing I like. Yeah, I do like it because it's chaotic. Mm-hmm. The extra inning begins, it's the eighth. Okay, in uh, a doubleheader, they stick the guy out at second base, and your relievers in, and he gives up a run. He gets charged with that run, even though he never put him on base. Yes, <laughs> I mean only this year could stuff like that happen. But I'm just echoing what you said. I love the seven inning doubleheaders.
1: Yeah, because uh, you know when when you get those uh, games that uh, finish in just ab- above two hours, that's uh that's a that is pretty cool. And the and you know. When I first heard the minor leagues were trying the runner on second as the uh, extra inning option, originally, I was not very keen on that idea. But now
0: yeah, that I've seen it a few times... You. I wasn't either, but now I kind of like it.
1: Yeah, I do too. What I think the most I like about it is, not only does it speed things along, you know, because typically in extra training games it looks like guys just start swinging for the fences most of the time yeah yeah this way you know you immediately have the pitcher in a pressure situation and and I kind of yes. I kind of I kind of like that that activity so that is kind of that is kind of cool and and even the the you know the fact is you know the in the bottom of the inning you get your guy on second so you got a chance to get the equalizer if, if you haven't get up too many runs in your top half so even those situations where they've extended the game beyond the extra inning to another inning or two, it still hasn't been a long drawn out process.
0: You're right. And not only that, I think it adds strategy to the game. Um, Cause you're starting the inning with a guy on second base. We're going to pitch around this guy we're going to make him try to pull the ball. So they can advance the runner. Do we want to keep it on the ground? Do we want to pop him up? You know, it's, you know, m- many things in baseball, i.e. designated hitter, as far as I'm concerned, took strategy out of the games. I think this adds strategy to the game and puts a level of excitement in it. I'm going to give you a corollary to hockey. Uh, when they first installed the shootouts at the end of overtime in regular uh, season NHL games, I thought I would hate it. And I was at the first game of the year and I saw a shootout, and I thought it was the most exciting thing I'd ever seen.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the perfect year for them to try all these interesting concepts out. And people are, it, to me, it seems to me, people are accepting it.
0: I agree. And I think the ratings are up, too, in baseball. So I'm certain there will be some kind of major discussions once this season ends as to what they want to keep and what they want to get rid of.
1: Yeah, no question about that. And the other thing that I find interesting is we've, we're hearing a lot more again about the unwritten rules, and you know, we go back a, a couple of weeks ago when uh, people were ripping Fernando Tatis for swinging on a 3-0 pitch with a seven-run lead late in a game. How many games have you seen? Because I can tell you I've seen plenty, and one just recently, which I will tell you, big leads evaporate very quickly in today's game. And Just Sunday night, the Braves put up a 10-spot in the second inning against the Phillies. And I was already sweating because that's Citizens Bank Park. That's a that's a bandbox. And then all of a sudden, yes, you know, the Phillies got within one run, and the Braves had to hold on for a twelve ten lead. So in, in today's game, I don't think you can put enough runs up.
0: I agree. And here's another thing: I'm pretty much a traditionalist. Um, I believe you should be able to push a guy off the plate or drill him in the ribs. Or uh, you know, I, Bob Gibson was my favorite pitcher as a kid. However. I had never heard of that unwritten rule that you don't swing at a three zero pitch with a lead like that late in the game. I, I mean, I've, I've been going to baseball games for fifty five years. I'd never heard that that was an unwritten rule. And supporting exactly what you just said, no lead is ever going to be big enough.
1: Yeah, you got to you got to be up by fifteen, I think at least uh, to have a chance at that. Um, I agree. Yeah, and you, you until until you surrender by putting in a position player to pitch, <laughs> the game is still on. <laughs>
0: Yes,
1: yes, I agree. That, that's a good analogy. <laughs> yes. Of course, we uh, lost one of the great legends in baseball uh, this week with Tom Seaver. Uh, in, amazingly enough, one of only two guys with uh, 3,000 strikeouts, 300 wins, and a sub-3 ERA, the other being Walter Johnson. That yeah. is; Those are incredible numbers when you look at his career. Me,
0: you know just and he's a great person too that's the other thing and he he understood his role as the biggest new york med of all time and the weight on his shoulders of how he acted and reacted and how he treated himself and he handled as well as anyone ever has uh the first thing that i mean we all heard about several months ago that he was suffering i guess it was lewy body dementia and uh there was a story that came out then about Tom Brady trying to trademark the name Tom Terrific. Mm. And I think there was a lot of blowback then. And I will bet you that we don't hear that coming up this time.
1: Yeah, I would, I would think not. Um, and then you look at it as a, you know what he did for the Mets franchise. He was also a big part of the Big Red Machine, too.
0: Yeah, his first no-hitter was with the Reds.
1: Yes. And then he eventually we get through. Here's him. another thing. Yes,
0: you I, you may have seen this. I guess it was last night at the Mets game. Before the game started, all of the Mets rubbed dirt on their knee, right where Tom Seaver always had it because of the way he followed through when he pitched. And so they they didn't put a patch on their sleeve or anything like that. They put dirt on their left on the top of their left knee as he would have the way he was following through when he pitched. Yeah. As a salute.
1: Yeah, and you don't see guys get that low anymore.
0: No, I mean, he, you know what? He invented it, and no one else has done it, or at least done it half as well.
1: Yeah, and you would think with the with the success and the results he had, uh, that would be pretty impressive. And uh, you know, he would go on later to play with the White Sox. I actually saw his three hundred and third win in your neck of the woods in nineteen eighty five in Arlington. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah he,
0: was, he was with the White Sox then right
1: yes he was with the White Sox then yeah I gone to in 85 I had gone to Dallas uh, uh, to catch a Monday night football game they were playing the Redskins drove all the way from Orlando I'm like uh, you know, 21 years old at the time uh, yeah. God, that was a long time ago uh, and so <laughs> did, a, did a full sports weekend we did an SMU game at the, at the old Texas stadium on Saturday night did the White Sox Rangers on Sunday and the Cowboys Redskins on Monday night and it, was, it was a great weekend. Yeah, it was a great weekend. And then it was so amazing to the fact that, uh, you know, we didn't know it until a couple days or Oh, my God, we're going to get to see Tom um, Seaver pitch.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a treat, isn't it? I mean, even there, and that was, I guess, his next to last season. Um, and you saw him at uh, the old Arlington Stadium then. Yes. Uh, well, th- that was in the fall then, so it wasn't 110 degrees.
1: It was still pretty warm, though.
0: <laughs> <It> was <laughs> Especially to be outside. for Well, Texas Stadium, there was a hole in the roof, so you were still kind of outside for all of those
1: events. <laughs> yes, exactly right. And then one other thing I wanted to bring up from baseball, which I thought was, uh, you know, it's always good to have some good news. And we learned that Vin Scully is now on Twitter. It's finally <laughs> finally something good on Twitter. How about that? <laughs>
0: And he said it was because he missed the fans. I love it. Yes,
1: yes. So, uh, Vince Scully at ninety-two in social media. In so at least twenty twenty brought <laughs> us something. to twenty
0: twenty.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> at least at least it brought us something good. So yes. Uh, so look at so let's now switch over to uh, the National Hockey League. You know, the NBA did the bubble. The NHL did the double bubble. And uh, we've seen yep. some uh, great playoff action, lots of Game 7s. In fact, we had one today with uh, the Dallas Stars, uh, Yoel uh, Kiviranta with the game-winner in overtime. you uh, had a hat-trick in that game. My goodness gracious, what an what a exciting finish for that series.
0: Uh, and I'll tell you this, you know, I think most people thought Colorado was the best team in hockey. Of course, you might get arguments from Tampa and Boston and maybe Vegas. But, you know, Nathan McKinnon is the guy now. And, you know, uh, all of a sudden Colorado's on their third string goalie and they're down three games to one and they come back and tie it. And to see them get the lead with 345 left in the third period today and less than 10 seconds later the Stars tied it. And most of these guys who were succeeding for the Stars in the playoffs – Nobody knows about them, unless you're here in Dallas. And it's not Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan. You know, it's these other guys that are bringing it. And to see them win that game, just amazing. Uh, And we have game seven of Vancouver and uh, Vegas tomorrow night, so then we'll know who the Western Finals are.
1: Yeah, good stuff there. And, you know, it looks like the Tampa Bay Lightning are are having a redemption based off of their their utter failures a year ago and uh, they seem to keep marching in the right direction.
0: Yeah, they're my pick to go all the way. Um, of course, they, they've been everyone's pick to go all the way several times in the last few years, but just something got in their way. Last year it was the first round, um, but teams like that, that are loaded with talent, sometimes think that talent can just turn it on and off. And that isn't how it works. Look at the Islanders, you know, the Islanders, have some talented guys, but there are no real superstars there, maybe Barzell, but they play a system, they believe in their system, it frustrates the heck out of everybody else, and they just keep going. They did it last year, they're doing it again this year. I think the Flyers may have finally figured out the Islanders' system, but we'll find out for sure with Game 7.
1: Yeah. And what has been your take on how the action has been in the uh, the restart of the uh, the Nash Hockey League season, going right to the playoffs? What uh, what has worked well for them in the format that they've used?
0: Well, two bubbles, I think, was very smart because uh, then you didn't have twenty four teams in the same city and the. I, I was not happy with them making sure they had 24 teams involved because some of the teams had already moved on, yet they stuck them in the playoffs. And yes, the two lowest seeds won, Montreal and Chicago, which is funny because they had just traded off most of their assets back, you know, before this uh, all restarted. I, I think they tried too hard to make sure that big markets like New York, the Rangers, uh, Montreal and Chicago were in the playoffs for TV purposes you know maybe that's a smart business move I think they overstepped it with that um, I'm not so sure about the whole round robin for teams one through four in the east and west you know your your Boston Bruins fans are having to fit because they were so good all year and they were number one but they were very you know meh in the uh, round robin and ended up fourth in the east And then, you know, suddenly they're out of the playoffs and everyone's complaining about how the playoffs have been set up in the NHL. Well, here's news for you. It's always been set up poorly because they don't reseed, And, you know, you'll get the two best teams in one conference playing each other in the second round.
1: Mm. Uh,
0: Maybe we'll learn from that and they'll change it next year, whenever that begins. (laughs) I mean, I'm happy with the way it's been handled. I think the games have been good. But I also think you're seeing... You know, all these goalies are getting injured and, you know, the league won't tell us they're unfit to play. Do they have COVID? Did they pull a groin? Uh, You know, do they have a hip pointer? You know, what's going on? Uh, You know, I, I consider and complain about it, but I'm just so happy to be watching Stanley Cup hockey. And then when you see something like today where there's an overtime in a game seven, uh, there's nothing more exciting in sports.
1: Yeah, you know, they, they, they do Game 7 better than anybody. I I fully yes. fully give that uh, for sure. And I think it's been interesting, too, uh, especially you know, with the NBA and the NHL is getting all, all, the, all these games on during the day. <laughs> you know, I know it doesn't do much for their ratings, yep. but it's fun for us sports fans. <laughs>
0: you know, I'm telling you, since I work from home most of the time now, there was nothing like sitting at my computer doing work at two in the afternoon with a playoff hockey game on the screen. There was just nothing better. And, you know, some of these, uh, you know, baseball doubleheaders are starting earlier in the day today. and you know, there was one today. So um, I, it is a sports fan's dream that you don't have to wait till night just to watch a sporting event.
1: Yeah, and with all these sports converging on the calendar at one time, it... You know, the the long, lackluster early part of the summer where we had no sports, uh, we're certainly getting the payoff now.
0: Yeah, and imagine the uh, confusion that's going to happen later when, oh, I don't know, the Masters is on CBS on the weekend (laughs) and they have NFL football. Um, You know, the question is, are some of the NFL games going to move to Saturday? Or or is the Masters going to start earlier, like 10 in the morning? Keep in mind... It gets dark earlier in the fall than it does when they normally play. True. So there's some conundrums coming there, but either way, we know we're going to get wall-to-wall sports.
1: Yeah. Breakfast at Augusta. I kind of like the idea of that. <laughs> I know. I do, too. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. Well, of course, you're in the Dallas market, and you get to see somebody uh, that uh, is electrifying in the NBA, and that's Luka Doncic. And how amazing is that for the Mavericks to... Have another generational type player follow Dirk Nowitzki. That's got to be so incredible for the NBA fan base. There,
0: it's, it is so exciting, and to have them, you know, overlap for a year, uh, and not unlike Dirk, at first people did not know what we had with Luca,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and how unbelievably talented he is and has been uh, forever. Uh, you know, since he was a little kid, uh, one of the things that many people don't know is Donnie Nelson, who's the GM of the Mavericks spent a lot of time in Europe before Luca came over literally living with him hmm. and, you know, working with his coaches and basically nurturing him to the point. And, you know, I don't know, you might say that that's, uh, Dirty pool. I don't. I don't know, but the Mavericks spotted him when he was a teenager, which wasn't all that long ago, and made it clear that they wanted Luca to come here. And I think you know, last year with all the triple doubles, he outperformed what anybody expected. And then today, you know, this year in the playoffs, especially against the Clippers, people saw that he is the real deal. Um, and you know, the hopes are here that they can certainly lock him up and get him a partner out there to help him. Uh, because the future is very bright for the Dallas Mavericks.
1: Yeah, and you you do have to have at least a second, if not a third guy, that that, that you can build around, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, and I don't know how, you know, Mavericks will probably have to, well, they're not going to draft someone like that. They're going to have to sign someone like that. And, you know, the NBA, there's a lot of free movement amongst players, and, you know, it has certainly gotten to the point where people go, want to go play with their friends, and one would think that that would not be so easy in a, quote, salary cap league, but it seems to happen in the NBA. One of the issues we've had in Dallas is, despite the fact that Mark Cuban treats everyone great and bears no expense— People don't want to come here. They want to go to LA or they want to go to New York, and uh, you know, or Miami. And they're up against that when it comes to free agent signing. So hopefully, with someone with the talent level of Luca here, that will help draw some more people to the team.
1: Yeah, that would be a, a big plus for them. And then on the football side of things, the uh, Dallas Cowboys, the Mike McCarthy regime is now in session. In Dallas, uh, what, is, uh, what is the what is the fever pitch like out there right now as far as training camp goes?
0: Well, I'll tell you this: you know, despite the fact that uh, the NFL training camps, the press aren't allowed to report certain things, even if they see it with their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, you said it; it's a fever pitch, and everyone knows. Last year, the Cowboys had the number one, you know, offense in the NFC, or maybe it was the league, and they went 8-8. Eight and eight. So, you know, immediately the fingers point at defense. And, you know, the new new coaches, new bodies on the defense um, aimed at make, creating turnovers. The Cowboys were not good at creating turnovers last year. And so now Dak is here, Zeke is here. They've got, with C.D. Lamb in the draft, they've got three awesome wide receivers, uh, a great offensive line. Uh, the offense should probably be even better than last year. They actually have a backup quarterback now with Andy Dalton here. Yes. Because in the past, they basically didn't have a backup quarterback for like a couple of years.
1: Yeah, Cooper so Rush. The <laughs> offense
0: should be lights out. The question here is can the defense cause some turnovers or will the offense have to outscore everybody all the time? Now, granted, Washington and the Giants are in their division, but the Eagles will be the only worry for the NFC East.
1: Yeah, and and yeah, they the, the defense hasn't... Generated turnovers probably in what eight years? I think it's been a it's been a long time since right. they've been been any good at that. So, and it's not like they don't have good talent on that side of the ball, and they have actually done a really nice job in in supplementing that and getting some better bodies in there too.
0: Agreed, and you know, the of course, all the scuttlebutt is Earl Thomas, Earl Thomas, Earl Thomas. You know, and of course, Jerry plays that coy, and Steven plays that very coyly. Uh, For all all we know, they've talked to him, but, you know, the best highest place sources say they have not had discussions, but they are bringing in other people to look at for corner since releasing Ha Ha Clinton Dix yesterday. So, um, I think just a new outlook on defense with a new defensive coordinator will be to their benefit. They still need to add some parts, though.
1: Yeah, and and, I've always been of the mind as well that Mike McCarthy will need to strike while the iron is hot because, you know, Jerry gave Bill Parcells some leeway. He stayed out of the way a little bit, and I sense he's staying out of the way to some degree with McCarthy coming in, but I think McCarthy will have to strike quickly in order to keep it that way.
0: I agree with you. Um, You know, McCarthy has certainly earned uh, the right to make his own decisions, uh given the state he's an offensive coach, and given the state of the Cowboys offense, as great as it was last year, and it could be even better this year, he'll, he needs to strike right away.
1: Yeah, most definitely. And then let's get around to talking about your Pittsburgh Steelers. And we were doing our fantasy draft last night, and somebody had commented that uh, they had Julian Edelman's picture uh, next to Ben Roethlisberger's name, to which I commented, well, they did say Big Ben lost a lot of weight this year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's good. well he has uh, he's in great shape and of course the 10 bazillion dollar question is will his arm hold up mm-hmm. uh, but, you know last year they were the 29th offense in the NFL and well he played six quarters and the line was beat up and James Conner was hurt and Juju Smith-Schuster was hurt I'm making excuses here but they had one of the best defenses in the NFL so if they can just turn up the offense a little bit they should be all right the defense is you know the defense I don't know that they're going to lead the league in turnovers and sacks like they did last year but T.J. Watt you know no one can block him in camp you know and Bud Dupree is playing for a contract Uh, they've got all pro corners they've got an all pro free safety Minka Fitzpatrick uh, they are set up to do very well. Of course, they're in the division with the Baltimore Ravens, and uh, that'll be tough, but I think they're even teams. Mm. And I think as long as Ben can stay healthy, that uh, you'll probably see two 10-6 or 11-5 and five teams come out of the AFC North.
1: Yeah, with Ben coming off a significant arm injury, uh, what have, they, have they done anything to solidify the backup position? Because we know that, uh, how that turned out last year.
0: Yeah, uh, no, is the answer. Um, they, they think Mason Rudolph is the guy. Uh, I kind of support that. He didn't show very much last year, but of course he had no running back and no wide receiver either.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But they said he's had a good camp. And here's another thing. Now is the time for them. Mm-hmm. You know, while Ben is healthy, now is the time to go for it. They have zero room against the cap, you know, because all I heard for weeks was, well, oh, they should sign Jameis Winston, or they should get, you know, Cam Newton, or they should get, well, they can't afford any of those people. There's no money there to get those people, you know. So Mason Rudolph is the backup. Doc Hodges is the third string. Uh, last year, they brought in Paxton Lynch, uh, you know, to hold the clipboard or run the scout team. And, in training camp this year, he is at best the fifth-string quarterback. Mm. Uh, he just can't hit the side of a barn.
1: Could they could,
0: And could they he get, may not even make practice squad.
1: Mm. Could they get Blake Bortles on the cheap?
0: Well, if, on the cheap would work. Yes. But literally, it would have to be less than a million a mm. year.
1: Which he probably would not go That's for. That's a problem. But, uh, you know, he could also look to try to reflourish his career, um, although it, yeah. it might say something that, uh, that he didn't get another deal in L.A. either. So who knows?
0: True. Well, and part of the other deal is with the uncertainty of the salary cap for next year. You know, if there were not uncertainty, the Steelers would have already done a new deal with Cameron Hayward, and they might still then be negotiating with Bud Dupree, but as it is now, they're going to lose him. They're going to lose Juju Smith-Schuster. They're going to lose James Conner. They're going to lose two of their offensive linemen after this year, and next year, Ben counts $40 million against the cap.
1: Mm. So
0: if he's still healthy and he wants to keep playing, they'll sign him to a new deal next year to lower the cap hit and pay it out in a bonus. But what does that say about Mason Rudolph? Mm. you know That says, well you're the guy but you're not the guy (laughs) so at some point they're gonna have to suck it up and be bad for a couple of years
1: Mm -hmm. and start over well that yeah that's a that's a tough that that kind of puts them in a tough position in in how how they move forward
0: yeah and that's that's the whole uh you know let's win now um And it's funny because also, you know, I'm a Pittsburgh Penguins fan, and they were awful for the second straight year in the playoffs. And they have three guys in their mid-30s who are all going to, Latang, maybe not, at least two of them, going to the Hall of Fame, Malkin and Crosby. They're in win-now mode. Mm -hmm. And Jim Rutherford, the GM, does not hide that. He says, we're in win-now mode. He trades the first draft pick every year to get, complimentary pieces because he knows in two years, probably that's going to end and they're going to stink for years. And I think the Steelers will face the same fate in the next year or two. Mm. So it's win now and worry about the future later.
1: And what about your thoughts at, uh, on Mike Tomlin at this point in time? I know you and our, our buddy Keith Feeney have been critical of Mr. Tomlin uh, over the long course of his career there in Pittsburgh. Uh, But you could argue he might have done his best coaching job last season.
0: Agree. He did. And I think that turned me around on him. I think he is or was a poor game manager, and he needed help with when to call timeouts and clock management. He got that last year from one of his assistant coaches. Um, But considering all the injuries, no Ben. I mean, Buck Hodges starting six games uh, You know, to come within a few points of a playoff slot. Uh, playoff spot, he did his best job last year. And you'll notice he has become a leader on the team, too, with the Black Lives Matter movement. And, you know, when he got out and did the speech in front of, you know, the team and the assembled press last week, uh, he doesn't like doing that. He, you know, he wants the players to be the guys, but he said, I want to do this, and I am humbled to do this. And he has become a respected leader, and I think, of course, we're spoiled that they haven't won a Super Bowl in 11 years, Um, but he's never had a losing record Mm. his entire time there. So I I think he's the right guy at the right time and uh, earns the respect of everyone on that team.
1: Yeah, I tell you what, uh, he also does probably the best Monday press conference of any coach in the National Football League, too. I, You know, yep. you, you, you've, you, you guys have had to suffer through years of Jason Garrett talking about the process. <laughs> oh, boy. And then Mike Tomlin. I know. And then Mike Tomlin's, like, you know, uh, playing, uh, playing Vegas. <laughs>
0: it is. And uh, it's, I mean, I haven't seen much of it. It's been on Zoom this year. But when uh, Aditi, Aditi Kinkabwala from the NFL Network asks him questions, it's usually, must-see TV, Um, because he shoots from the hip, he's very well spoken, and he has heard so many Twitter accounts that make fun of him, but in a positive way. There's one called Obviously Mike Tomlin because he uses the word obviously all the time, (laughs) but they literally parrot the way he speaks in these press conferences, and it's hilarious. So it, it is must-see TV for his weekly uh, news conference.
1: It is good stuff. And the sports station in your cluster is the flagship for the Dallas Cowboys, and will they be broadcasting the road games from Dallas?
0: As of now, yes. <laughs> Notice how I said as of now. Yes. Um, it's it's funny, and I, I'll get back to that in a second, but about the Cowboys, you know, as the flagship station – We get eight season tickets, okay? They're all together. And normally we give them out to clients who spend a lot of money with us. Mm -hmm. But are they going to be able to sit next to each other? (laughs) Are they going to have to be spread out? How is that going to work? Nobody knows. We have to wait for the Cowboys to get back to us on that. In addition, we have a suite in AT&T Stadium. You've been there.
1: Yes, I have.
0: That suite holds... I believe it's 28 people. I don't think that we're going to have 28 people in that small space for any football games this year. But who knows?
1: Will they? Will so they will we're they,
0: waiting here from the Cowboys and all that.
1: Will they give you 25% so, of the suite like they do in the stands, I guess?
0: It could be. I don't know. Yeah. And, and then, you know, I know we wouldn't do this, but can you imagine other suite holders? I paid for this. Mm-hmm. Give me my tickets. You <laughs> know, Uh Back to your original question, though. As of now, the, the away games will be called from here. Mm. We're uh, You know, we're the, also the flagship station of the Texas Rangers, and they are calling the away games from Globe Life Field in the press box. The guys are there for the home and away games. So for the away games, the play-by-play guys are in the press box, and they have two computer monitors, and the Jumbotron is showing the game also. Mm. So. They're calling it that way. There might be a slight delay. It's not all that noticeable, but I think they've proven that that works. So it looks that like that's the way we're going to do the Cowboys games.
1: Yeah, and you know, getting back to the uh, the the number of people that are going to be in. So I believe it was twenty five percent, which you know that gives the Cowboys a big leg up on the rest of the league with their gigantic stadium. They can actually have a twenty five thousand seat offering to give people.
0: Yeah, you're right, uh, as a matter of fact, and you, you know how big that place is. It's enormous. You can space out in there and still get a whole buttload of people in there. So I think that is, you know, people poo-poo the home field advantage, but what if you have that and then you have stadiums with nobody in them? Mm-hmm. There is a like disadvantage to the away team when that happens.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Do they have to keep the roof open uh, in order to do that?
0: Don't know. That's a great question. Yeah, but I would think so.
1: Yeah, because because they don't I they don't they don't for uh, an answer. Yeah, <laughs> the, and, uh, not because I thought about that because I know they do not open that roof very often.
0: Unfortunately, yes. I mean, I understand when it's hundred degrees in September, but unless the weather is lousy, uh, they need to open the roof. All right.
1: Well, Jay, as always, is great to have you on the program. As one of my uh, stable of sports guys. And uh, we do appreciate it. And uh, continued uh, best wishes and staying safe and staying well.
0: You too, Jeff. I really appreciate you having me. Uh, You know, it makes my day when I get a chance to talk sports.
1: And we will be right back with a TV theme to close things out right after this.
0: Five reasons why. You should listen to or advertise with Captain and Company in the morning. One, just under four decades of professional broadcasting experience. AM, FM, online. Two, programming music you listened to before you settled down and started a family. Three, live every weekday morning just as reliable as your automobile. Four, no spin doctor here. I just can't pick stupid. Five. If you got this far, please go back to reason number one. Weekday mornings right here on your favorite online station. Our primary objective is to keep the groove. I got these.
1: Old Oldschool101.com. Forget about it. The theme for Lost in Space aired on CBS for three seasons, 1965 to 1968. And the theme you just heard was from season three and scored by the legendary John Williams. Yes, that John Williams. The uh, story of Lost in Space in the 60s focuses on the future of October 16th, 1997. The United States gearing up to colonize space. And we're not there yet in 2020. The Jupiter 2, a futuristic saucer-shaped spacecraft, stands on its launch pad, undergoing final preps. Its mission is to take a single family on a five-and-a-half-year journey to an Earth-like planet orbiting the star of Alpha Centauri. Easy for me to say. Just like Star Trek, a five-year plan that only lasted three, thanks to TV ratings. And the Robinson family, a space version of Swiss Family Robinson, consists of Professor John Robinson, played by Guy Williams, His wife, Maureen, the legendary June Lockhart. There are three children. Judy, played by Mark Kristen; Heart flutters. Penny, played by Angela Cartwright and Will, portrayed by Billy Mummy. And the family, of course, is accompanied by U.S. Space Corps Major Donald West, played by Mark Goddard. The Robinsons and Major West are cryogenically frozen for the voyage. They are set to be unfrozen when the spacecraft approaches its destination. But... Here's where it turns. Dr. Zachary Smith, portrayed by Jonathan Harris. He was Alpha Control's doctor. He's revealed to be a saboteur working on behalf of an unnamed nation. After disposing of a guard who catches him aboard the spacecraft, he reprograms the Jupiter-2's B-9 environmental control robot to destroy critical systems on the spaceship eight hours after launch. Smith becomes trapped aboard at launch, and its extra weight throws the Jupiter-2 off course, causing it to encounter asteroids. Thus, plus the robot's rampage, causes the ship to prematurely engage its hyperdrive, and the expedition becomes hopelessly lost in the infinite depths of outer space. Smith's selfish actions and laziness frequently endanger the expedition, that his role assumes less sinister overtones in later portions of the series. And Lost in Space remembered for the robot who was reprogrammed back to normal, often repeated lines such as, Warning, warning, it does not compute. Uh, Smith's frequent put downs of the robot also proved very popular. Jonathan Harris would lay it, as the story goes, lie in bed at night dreaming of what to use on the show. You bubble headed booby, crackly cacophony, tin plated traitor. Blithering Blackerskite and traitorous Transistorized Toad are among some of his trademark lines. I certainly did not do them any justice. Oh, the pain, the pain of it all. Another one. Or Never Fear, Smith is Here. And it's very interesting when you think about about that. uh, Jonathan Harris's line, Oh, the pain, the pain. Uh, he was the voice of the illusionist uh, praying mantis Manny in A Bug's Life. And that was near that line used near the end of the film. And the catchphrase, Danger Will Robinson, probably the most popular one, originates, of course, with that series as uh, anytime Will's in danger, it was the robot. And uh, that uh, catchphrase still is resonates today. And I have to tell you, as I watched the show in syndication as a young Jeff, I, too, wanted to have a robot (laughs) like the one on Lost in Space. And Lost in Space would probably also be an appropriate title for the year of 2020, should it? (laughs) I mean, (sighs) but anyway, a great uh, sci-fi campy show from the 1960s, which, of course, has been uh, rebooted on Netflix The movie as well remake of it Uh, wasn't such a big fan of the movie I have not yet had a chance to watch the rebooted series on the streaming service well that's about to close it out for this week again thanks to Jay Cresswell for joining us to uh, chat sports as always uh, make sure you like and share the programming with uh, everybody out there on your social media feeds and with that
0: we are done here